Welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast. Today, I'm speaking with Senior Strength and Conditioning Coach at the Aspire Academy, Alex Natera. Hi guys, thanks for tuning in to episode 45 of the Pace Performance Podcast and part two with Alex Natera. So as you heard in, in part one, we discussed all his work with track and field athletes at the Aspire Academy. So in episode, so in part two of the episode, we are going to discuss uh, repeated, repeated bouts of power and Alex's work uh, on his PhD and as he calls it, his labour of love over the last six, seven, eight years. So I'm going to keep this intro nice and short and just make you aware that you can jump over to paceyperformance.co.uk forward slash 45 and you can pick up all the links that Alex mentions in the episode. You can also catch up with all the previous episodes of the podcast on paceyperformance.co.uk forward slash podcast. Thanks again for all the support over the last couple of weeks. I really appreciate it. And here is the episode part two with Alex Natera. Hi guys, welcome to the Pace Performance Podcast. So this is part two with Alex Natera. So just in case anyone didn't uh, tune into uh, part one yet, first I'd encourage you to shoot over to part one. You can you can listen there. But just in case, uh, just welcome Alex to the podcast for part two and ask him to give us a little um, introduction on himself, uh, his experience, his background, and what he's currently doing. So welcome to the podcast, Alex. Thanks, Rob. Thanks for. Uh, uh being able to come on again and um, and talk uh, this line about um, uh, the, the side of things you're going to discuss with me. Um, yeah, so briefly with um, with uh, my history is, uh, you know, after I took a short career playing rugby um, uh, professionally, semi-professionally, if you like, and then went into a, a personal training background. And through that personal training background was, um, was uh, able to get an offer at Crystal Palace Football Club where I spent about two and a half seasons and then moved over to Rugby Union, where I spent uh, about four seasons and then I became institutionalised, where I, I spent um, most of the uh, London cycle with um, English Institute of Sport and then uh, back home in the South Australian Sports Institute. And now it's taken me to the deserts of Doha, where I'm with Aspire Academy. Um, and I predominantly, from my team sport background of whatever it was, seven odd years, I'm now uh, very much into Olympic sports, and the last six years has seen me with uh, predominantly track and field, um, and and in particular sprints. Cool. So in part one, we discussed kind of all things track and field. So this part two, we're going to discuss um, a lot about uh, power and focus around your PhD. But I know there's a couple of things, or certainly one thing that we we'd missed out in part one, which was just. Um, the kind of the the learning that uh, field sports, that team sports can t- can do from track and field. So you just want to touch on that and just um, make up the little bit of bit of time lost in uh, in part one. Yeah, absolutely. Um, my, my pleasure. Um, yeah, absolutely. Look, uh, I'm going to be make some probably general sweeping statements here, but um, because I know a, a lot of team sports do uh, focus on some of the things I'm going to talk about. Um, but but really for me it's it's about acceleration and acceleration mechanics and I think it's something that can be 
touched on and probably tick boxed a lot in team sports. Yes, we do acceleration training, but but the fact is, in in the track and field environment, you know, we generally accelerate or do acceleration training all year round. You know, from 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 the beginning in a short to long period, a uh, short to long program, we're accelerating, and that might be over a distance of 10 and 20 meters, and we'll take that out to 30 or 40. But we accelerate all year round, and we probably accelerate three times a week, depending on the program that you're running. Now, we get uh, adaptations through through acceleration training, huge neuromuscular stimulus. Um, it is considered far less risky uh, in terms of injury. So we're, we're very happy to do that all year round. And, um, and we get better at accelerating from emphasizing the mechanics, uh, from developing the qualities behind acceleration and actually doing the training. So it's something that probably is remiss in team sports. Um, again, I said it's probably a tick box approach, but it's something that I would seriously consider putting into a program um, on a, a frequent basis for much of the year and having real dedicated time to develop the mechanics. Okay, we're not going out of the blocks and that's fine. We can still hit positions that are appropriate for acceleration and we're still able to cue and, and develop the appropriate mechanics, um, understanding that negative shin, shin angle as much as possible and pushing backwards. Um, so that is certainly something I would, would consider. We all know uh, that acceleration is, is, is a quality in terms of sprint performance that's um, highly significant in team sports. Max velocity, much more of a lesser extent, um, and obviously the components in terms of change in direction and, and um, are reacting to different stimuli throw a spanner in the works. But very much accelerating, and I've, I've got my rugby hat on here, accelerating out of a, a line, line speed, accelerating into a tackle situation, a collision, collision situation. To be able to get the right mechanics will improve the, uh, the contact element of the game for sure. So, um, yeah. Certainly something I would definitely go around and uh, go down the line of and emphasize in team sports. So just digging a little bit deeper on that, with regards to teaching that to team sport athletes, how does that differ to teaching it to uh, track and field athletes? Yeah, the, the block offers a really nice position to drive out of. And when you're standing, it's, it's very different. So once, let, let's just say, let's say all things being equal, people have got the... Um, the prerequisites. So they're able to generate high levels of relative force or power, for instance. So they can get into that position. Then it's about allowing them and letting them understand how to lean forward to get in that position to push backwards. Simple as that, you know, and um, it's not easier said than done, especially with guys who are top heavy. It throws out the balance in terms of the amount of weight you've got in front of your center of mass. Um, uh, so yeah, it's, it's certainly something that involves cueing, but this is this is the thing, this is why it needs that frequency of stimulus. It needs this consistently with consistent cueing based on that particular athlete's answer upon um, and um, uh, yeah, and it's something that needs to be done regularly. It can't be just tick box approach. I often hear, often hear, um, you know, colleagues talk about their um, GPS data and say, oh yeah, look, they've hit max velocity anyway, we don't need any more max velocity training. Oh, they've hit um, certain amount of accelerations. We don't need any acceleration. It's done. But the fact is a sprinter gets better accelerating. Um, a team sport athlete could definitely get better accelerating, particularly if acceleration is such a pivotal and vital part of the game. So would you be doing that daily in a team sport environment? I, I, I wouldn't say daily, but I'd, I'd definitely try and get a two to three a week in for sure. Yeah. Cool. So like I said before, you're doing your um, – 
your PhD at the minute. Where's that? Where's that from? Where's that out of? Yeah, that's with Bond University. It's um, with uh, Justin Keogh, who's um, pretty active on Twitter um, and has, 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 has published a lot of papers. He comes from a um, a power, uh, powerlifting, a strongman background, which is which is a lot of fun. And I think it's I think it's through that that he he uh, kind of saw a bit of a light in in uh, in, in in my thoughts and my my processes around my PhD. I've also got um, a guy here. Um, uh, named Marco Cardinali, who was um, head of sports science for British Olympic Sport, uh, British Olympic um, uh, Association. Um, and he's also published a, a lot of papers too. Um, he's head of physiology here. So I've got a biomechanist and a physiologist, um, and I'm obviously a strength guy. So it's a, it's a nice little mixture um, of heads around uh, certain twitchy, twitchy subjects around my PhD, I guess. <laughs> so... It's on uh, repeated bouts of power. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. My um, yeah. So my uh, my PhD is literally on, I guess, what people refer to as power endurance. I've tried to sort of nullify that sort of terminology because it's a bit confusing. It can mean a lot of different things. And um, yeah, I try and stick with repeat power ability and, and particularly repeat power ability in ballistic resistance training. Um, so. Yeah, so this has been kind of a labour of love, really, for oh, gone six or seven years now. It, it all started um, many years ago, really, when I was working at Blackheath Rugby Club. We had a um, a strong link with Wasps, and we had a lot of on-loan players from them. Uh, we had a lot of their academy boys, a lot of their A-League boys. We had athletes that were either retiring or didn't have their contracts renewed at that, that particular time that were with us. And through that influence with Wasp, you know, I'm head of S&C at Blackheath and I'm, I'm prescribing their training. Um, and, you know, every now and then there'd be one of them would ask me, hey, can we do some power endurance training? And, you know, being very sceptical of the whole whole thing, I'm like, guys, we're in here to get stronger and more powerful. We'll go on the field and we'll run to get fitter. There's your power endurance. And, um, and sure enough, I hit a lot of black, black brick walls and I got in discussions with some Wasp guys uh, in terms of their, their conditioning staff and and look a bit of a brains trust from from Craig White really who's who's now moved on is um he went to to Welsh rugby and then Lions the British Lions and I think he's now with the um IRB uh look it was his type of work uh that got me thinking about it and then with some skepticism I went to test this I decided okay look let, let's look into this what's actually happening is this a, a viable methodology of training or is uh, or, or am I right? Should I just focus on strength and power in the gym and worry about the conditioning and the metabolic stuff, the energy system stuff off, off of, outside of the gym? And um, I guess I, I owe credit to my line manager at the time at um, English Institute of Sport. It was, it was Chris McLeod is his name and he um, he encouraged me to, to focus on this but from an EIS perspective, but but certainly um, encouraged me to do it as my master's project. So I, I had a look through my master's projects uh, project at really looking at defining repeat power ability. So having a look at a massive, you know, multilinear regression to see what things described it, you know, was someone who had better endurance capacity, better at power endurance or repeat power ability, or was someone that's more explosive, better at repeat power ability. So I went to have a look at that and through that sort of approach, you know, it, it, I kind of came to the conclusion that there was a lot of variation left unexplained and that, that particularly parent might be a 
a, a specific quality of its own. And when I say repeat powerful, remember I'm referring to ballistic uh, lifting, explosive episodes with, with load. Um, ultimately, you know, we, we are talking about uh, anaerobic power to some degree here, but um, uh, it's anaerobic power with additional loads. So how, so how were you testing it? How did you test it from what, on, your, on your master's project? So on my master's project, I looked at a, a whole range of um, force and endurance uh, variables. I looked at uh, RM, an RM test, um, so squat, for instance. I looked at um, loaded jumps and counter movement jumps on their own. Um, I looked at endurance variables like a, um, uh, an estimated um, VO2 max test, like a bleep test. Looked at um, repeat sprints. I looked at um, maximal, uh, sorry, um, muscle endurance. So this was a brutal one I got from 55% um, uh, 1RM, as many reps as you can go, basically squatting. Um, then be yeah, sick. Nice fun. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, uh, and uh, the actual protocol we ran in terms of what the repeat power ability test was, was a 4 by 12 uh, jump squat protocol. Um, so four sets of 12, and we looked at a fatigue index from one set and then for all repetitions of all sets really across those loads, um, which is actually a nice journey of discovery, you know. Uh, through that, my um, um, it, it interests me that, you know, having a look back at the data after my master's all done, I could do a number of different things with the data. I could do a fatigue index, a straight-up fatigue index, or I could sit there and do, which is effectively last, divided by your best fatigue index. Uh, but then I, if I looked at the percent decrement, which is your actual divided by your ideal, it sort of started telling me a different story. And I was like, okay, well now it's not just power endurance or repeat power ability, it's also how we're measuring it. You know, that, that's a problem. What are we looking at? Mean power, peak power? Um, uh, are we looking at the, a regression slope? Are we looking at average power? Are we looking at the total power? There's, there's a whole heap of different stuff there that, um, that made me think, you know, I'm probably not looking at the right thing here from my masters. We need to then, I mean, I probably need to do something first of all, reliability, um, and look at what measures, what metrics we need to to establish and identify repeat power ability. And um, yeah, through that, um, through that, through my masters, or my my preliminary invest, my investigations moving on from my masters, um, and most of these aren't scientific, like as in well controlled. Um, large participant number um, uh, investigations. These are with my athletes I was working with, really. Um, I've come to a conclusion, and through my pilot testing now with my PhD, come to a conclusion that it looks like the most reliable data is either average power or the total power. So we either have one average number of all the power or the episodes of power throughout the test or one total number. Um, so the total power added, every single jump added up. Um, Mean power also seems to be much more reliable than peak power with this particular type of test. What we've gone for now is 30% um, one-arm load, and we're looking at 20 jumps. Um, Counter-movement jumps are questionable. Um, air on the side of counter-movement jumps, just because we are fantastic beings, especially in athletic, uh, athletic subjects. We try and maintain power in any way, shape, or form. Um, like Stu Cormack's data, you know, we can change uh, contraction times to be able to maintain power. We can utilize a whole heap of different strategies. Uh, we can change our angle or depth angle. We can 
stay longer in contraction phases. Like I said, we can utilize our back as a lever. We can do all sorts of funky things off counter movement jumps. So it's really important to control the jump. So I use a Smith machine, get my athletes in a Smith machine. I control the depth that they're going to each time. So I have to hit a certain marker if I'm doing counter movement jumps. I now prefer to use squat jumps um, because there's a lot less to have to control. So there's a lot less variability in it. They start off a static position at 90 degrees. We measure that out. They go on a metronome. So they jump every three seconds um, and their foot placements are measured. Obviously they're in a Smith machine there. Bars held uh, snug on the, on the shoulders and uh, they can't use their back as a lever. All of a sudden there, when we start controlling the jump, these fatigue indexes increase nicely. So like from a, um, I, I know a study from Baker and Newton um, where they looked at um, uh, jumps and bench throws um, over 10 reps and they saw fatigue indexes around, with similar loadings, about 30%. They looked at fatigue indexes around 10%. But when we control the jump and we're quite stringent about our, um, uh, about controlling these variables, we start getting nicer declines. And when I say nicer declines, more around that 20% mark. Um, again, I'm being generalizing there, okay? So, you know, some athletes have got better repeat power ability, fatigue less, um, but most seem to get around that 20, 25% mark if you, if you control it appropriately. Mm. So is this something you're actively doing with your uh, track and field guys, as in the testing of it? Uh, definitely not, no. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, look, there has been some interest. A lot of um, some coaches um, have asked. You know, they've heard about my subject area and they're interested in it. Look, I don't flog to death um, something that is an interest area of mine that I'm that I'm looking at for a PhD. I don't I don't try and sell it to anyone. Um, although I'm very interested in in utilising some cyclists with this and velodrome cyclists. I, I certainly don't flog it to anyone. There has been interest with repeat power ability and um, uh, speed. So if I say power endurance and speed endurance. There has been some interest there. so And there has been some methodologies, you know. I've, I hear Charlie Francis used to use things like that replicate some sort of power endurance event. So you're doing a squat jump multiple times kind of thing. And there's a reason he was doing that for him. It's, it's certainly around that speed endurance side of things. So answer your question, no, I haven't. But I've looked at it in many cohorts I've worked with from soccer, netball. We had a really good good trial um, through my um, – Ex-line manager, I mentioned Chris McLeod with England Netball. Um, I've looked at it through water polo, all elite guys. Rugby, I did a great, uh, a great, probably the best uh, scientific, in inverted commas, um, study, um, which Bath, Bath University helped me out there with, uh, with a, a cohort of academy-based rugby players. And I've also looked at it with sprint, canoe, kayak, and cycling as well. So a lot of different things found out there. Um, I guess if I mention... Um, I mentioned some of them. Um, look, the rugby one was very interesting. These were really good athletes. These were guys, um, although young, they had uh, some big squat numbers, big strength numbers. They were fit guys. Uh, you know, power was around 85 watts per kilogram on some of those athletes. Um, we had a particular protocol that I got from the likes of WASP. We sort of uh, bastardized it a little bit. Um, but they were effectively doing a rolling clock. This is more the endurancey end, like the brutal end, I say, of repeat powerability training. I call it high repetition power training. Um, this was basically a rolling clock of either 30 or 45 seconds. Um, loads were either 30% or 50% 1RM, and we did different exercises from high pulls to squat jumps, uh, single leg loaded box jumps, um, push presses, and it was, it was almost in a circuit-style format, 4 by 12 reps, at one station on the same exercise, then you moved again, you moved again, and moved again, 
had two minutes rest and you repeated that again. It took 20 minutes. It was brutal. We had lactates of above 17 millimole. Maximal heart rates were, you know, uh, sorry, heart rates were around 95% max. Um, so it was a brutal, brutal um, uh, session. Uh, what was nice about that project is we split a group of, uh, I think it was 12 or 13 athletes in half. We had one half doing normal traditional training. So you did your, your power, your strength stuff in the gym and you did your running. And then the other group did uh, just high repetition power training. So this, this, this particular protocol I just highlighted. Um, we then had a washout period um, of about two weeks over Christmas and then we swapped the groups over. So it was a nice, um, a nice trial there. Now, look, what was really obvious with that trial was um, we, we measured a typical load profile, squat jump load profile, and of all the loads, light and heavy loads, uh, power increased. So we've got this huge metabolic thing we're putting into the system. These guys are knackered. Uh, they're doing so many reps. I think it was 14 times the normal repetition of explosive repetitions, triple extension explosive repetitions compared to the traditional group. And they got much more powerful off a range of loads. Um, look, we did Wingate tests, VO2 max tests as well. We did repeat speed tests. Um, and none of them actually reached a significance. Mean scores were definitely improving, but none of them actually reached statistical significance. You know, issues there with subject numbers and whatnot. But certainly power went up. And that was probably a very telling finding for me because it was a very mock metabolic stimulus. Metabo me metabolic status didn't change effectively, but power changed significantly. And a lot of times we can get someone fit enough or athletes fit enough, if you like, in inverted commas, whatever capacities they are. Remember, we measured a lot. We measured aerobic capacity, repeat speed, um, sorry, anaerobic capacity, aerobic capacity and repeat speed ability. So we measured all of them and none of them changed. It's quite promising to think, well, we can get power improvements, no negative or no drop-offs in metabolic conditioning. And we didn't really do any metabolic stuff either. So there's a nice little finding there. But one of those things that reminds me of the netball, um, netball um, study we did as well, where we did a good significant block of high rep repetition power training can't remember off the top of my head. It might have been, it's between four to six weeks of it. They did other traditional training as well. Um, but this training was very different. It was in the lead up to Commonwealth Games. We then went into Commonwealth Games, or before we went to, to, to India for Commonwealth Games, uh, we tested their, their, their power and their speed, and that had all gone up significantly, and um, which was promising based off the back of HRPT, high-repetition power training. Then we went overseas. And they competed uh, before their competition about 10 days later after the very last session of high repetition power training. They went through the roof. So they had this big peak after that. So, yes, granted, there's some tapering involved and whatnot in, in netball before a competition. But there seemed to be this delayed peak um, where they really went through the roof in terms of their performance. So, you know, with that type of training, there comes fatigue as well. So this window looked to be like seven or 10 days long. Um, although they were better straight away, seven or 10 days later, they got way, way better. So that was promising and that was really interesting for us as well to look at. So through the process, I probably identified something else that I'm, I'm looking at through um, my PhD is the different types of high repetition power training we can do. And one of them is a more related, uh, <laughs> I guess a less, not using any scientific words, less brutal way of training. And that's looking at um, high repetition numbers still, um, around 15 reps. Um, but having almost full re recoveries. And when I say almost full recoveries, I still need to test them, but certainly somewhere between the three to six minute mark. Um, so you're still getting a metabolic stimulus. So you're still trying to have to repeat power and try and hold it as high as it can be throughout the set. 
but then you're getting good enough recovery so then you can hit the same peaks um in your second your third your fourth your fifth your sixth set okay and then it slowly starts dropping out in effect and i've looked at this through pilot studies as well so yes absolutely we can we can hold with those rests um against popular belief we're able to hit close enough to max values um but that drop becomes bigger and bigger and bigger as the reps as the sets go on and then as the sets go on up to your fifth and sixth set the cumulative fatigue is just too great so potentially um uh the use of hitting um max powers um is uh, is ill-informed then so that's potentially the time to drop your reps so uh, drop your drop your workout in terms of hey, high repetition power training but that's something we need to look at more and we need to get more numbers around it um, and identify it. and ultimately we need to look at what is its performance impact too I mean it's great to see high repetition power sorry repeat power ability change in the gym and on a force plate um, but what does that mean to performance what does that mean perhaps to um, uh, combined training of endurance and strength is it something is a format that can work on both um i'm talking a lot here actually reminds me of another study <laughs> and this is a bit naughty i'll probably get blacklisted from any involvement in sports moving forward but um oh well, oh well. maybe not if they think it was a cool idea so this this was with three athletes so again can't base around any sub any studies but they had um okay it's football I'll, I'll drop that and they were uh they were they were female footballers and elite, um, but I won't tell you what country. That might sum it down. No, uh, keep it, keep it a guessing game. So we, um, I was managed. I managed to. Well, I was talking about my masters. I think at the time, or some some interest areas with one of the lead athletes who's now a personal. Uh, sorry, a strength and conditioning coach actually. And she seemed interested in it, and um, I said, "Hey, do you want to do you want to give it a go? I mean, I've got this hand down um, program that you guys are supposed to run before your your, your first camp." do you want to try high repetition power training she she was pretty keen to do it i said you know what you're not going to run at all you're just going to do this and she was like oh yeah that sounds even better and i'm like hey there's no guarantees look you know, you know my, my my findings are this at the moment but there's nothing sciencey about it you know there's just something seems to be happening here she was all over it convinced the other two to come in so we, we nailed it we did an aerobic test it was a shuttle test i think it was a 35 on 30 off might have been the other way around as far as you can. You add them all up together, six reps. Um, we did repeat speed. We did the Bosco test, which is actually a, another uh, – it's a test that I'm, I'm running some validity trials against, actually. Bosco might measure the same stuff I am. Bosco is a 60-second um, all-out uh, repetitive jump test. You jump as, um, as many times as you can, as powerfully and as high as you can for 60 seconds. Um, we ran that. And uh, we obviously did their strength and power uh, testing as normal. Now, I did five weeks with these girls, um, and they, they never ran once. They just did high repetition power training. We cycled it. We had to cycle it. Remember, this was a bit more on the brutal side of things. I wonder if I can write down the PhD, brutal, non-brutal. So, um, this is on more of the brutal side of things, right? So, we, um, uh, so they're working hard. So I had to cycle it in as we went. I had to cycle the loads in. I had to cycle... The, the the frequency of training three or two or one time a week what loads everything everything had to be cycled in how long we'd go for um uh but anyway pre and post test yeah absolutely these girls went to camp flying um on par with all the other girls fitness testing wise and then my tests internally my anaerobic capacity tests so the shuttle um repeat speed um my bosco jump test all of them were elevated uh significantly as well so the amount of jumps they did in the 60 second Bosco, the amount of power per jump, the average power, the total power, uh, repeat speed, they'd gotten faster again, which is interesting. 
um, uh, the average speed had gone up, um, total distance, uh, sorry, total time had gone down significantly, um, you name it. So there's some really cool stuff happening there as well. Um, yeah. Sorry, mate. I'm just writing. So I'm just writing something down. Um, so, how would you see that being used in um, like a team sport environment where they have to obviously not peak in every for a Commonwealth Games, peak in every Saturday? Yeah, you more, you more air on the side of less brutal, less sick. <laughs> yeah, NB non-brutal. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I would definitely, add, and and that, that's why I've sort of come up with this other. There's a few different methodology I'll test. Um, there's nothing out there, by the way. It's pretty tough to get any information on this, which means my lit review can be really, really small, um, which is great. <laughs> Happy days. But, uh, yeah, exactly. But um, look, exactly. I would err on the side of that that cautionary side. No, obviously, I've got to test it. I've got to get in there and get stuck in and test it um, and find out whether it has that dramatic effect. Um, uh, I, I think it does. It certainly does on repeat parability on, on any of the pilot or trials. I've done the less brutal methodology. Um, but is it going to have a significant effect on um, some real metabolic measures? Say repeat speeds always a very popular one. Um, anaerobic power, I think. Uh, sorry, anaerobic capacity, I think it will as well. And, and with that anaerobic power, but I'm not sure about sort of aerobic capacity. Um, but hey, if anaerobic capacity is not that important for your sport, then this may be a viable option. Now, yeah, week to week, exactly. Look, there's. Two ways of looking at it, and, and look, some of the literature, if you look at some of the old Russian stuff, there, there is stuff in here about power endurance per se, and it's very much a icing on the cake side of things. So, And I still view that as well, absolutely. This would never, doesn't matter how far I get this PhD, it will never replace getting strong and powerful in the gym. But can it be the icing on a cake three or four weeks out from a major competition? So whether that's looking towards a, rug, rug, uh, a World Cup, for instance, or whether it's um, finals time, for a particular sport or whether it is a, if we're lucky enough to work in sort of Olympic sports um, or Commonwealth Games sports like netball, where it's a particular major competition that you're leading into. It could be the icing on the cake, so to speak. We develop power and strength as high as we can. And we all know once you're at a certain level, you know, you're, you, you can flog a dead horse. You can really work hard for very small margin, marginal gains, you know, and maybe those gains in the team sport aren't that appropriate. You know, these small gains, one, you know, one centimeter jump height or something. So in that case, maybe the way that they can repeat those episodes of power is much more important. And maybe you can't do it metabolically anymore. Um, maybe the running side of things isn't the same thing. Maybe that can't replicate multiple jumps in a netball game or multiple get up and tackles in a rugby. Maybe something else needs to needs to um, help that out. So I'm hoping the non-brutal methodology will will come up with something there. But either way, um, brutal or non-brutal, um, uh, I, I think there is some sort of effect there. Um, the other way of looking at it is at the end of special, uh, sorry, end of general, I'm trying to think now in team sports, uh, the end of general preparation phase before we come into the season. That could be another reason. We've had our vital opportunity to increase power and strength. We've done that, and I know those periods are pretty short. Um, well, we're now coming into the season. Can we get two or three weeks of repeat power ability in there? And um, we remember some people might get nervous there and think, hold on, we'll drop power. But one of the key findings I'm finding is power actually just goes up. Okay, and it's probably some happening it's just to do with the amount of volume you're doing you're just getting better at a particular movement things are coordinating much better and that's why you're producing this great power um and having these power improvements so this might be an icing on the cake before you go into the regular season and then something that you might be able to just top up as you go along um 
fortunate enough actually that Welsh rugby is over here at the moment doing their hot weather camp before the World Cup and um, they do power endurance. Um, I hope they don't mind me saying that, but um, I'm going to go in tomorrow and witness what they do. So um, let's see if it's non-brutal or brutal. Um, I think it's probably somewhere in the middle based on the fact that they're also training out in uh, 50 degree heat uh, throughout the day as well. So I don't know that we smash into boys too much and they've just come down from altitude in Switzerland. So uh, they'll probably be on the side of caution. I don't know. Yeah, I saw they'd put a couple of um, a couple of uh, photos on Twitter. Absolutely loving the facilities. It looks unbelievable. It looks absolutely. I mean, it's just just another day for you guys, but for them, it's obviously uh, it's unreal. Oh yeah, mate. Look, it's um, I still walk around this place and just go, wow. So um, yeah, I think the day I stop doing that, maybe it's time to move on. But um, no, look, very privileged to work in this in this um, in this environment, man. It's um, it's awesome and. We always love guests coming over too and getting involved in, in, in the environment and, and, and soaking it up. So, um, yeah, anyone cool. coming over and who wants to do power endurance, uh, repeat power ability, please get, <laughs> get a sick bucket ready. Yeah. <laughs> um, just one last thing before I um, before I do a little roundup. Did, what were we actually exactly doing with the netball girls, if you can remember? What was the actual specific training that they were doing? Obviously, it was repeat. Yeah, yeah. Repeat power it's very simple ones, actually. Um, except I think they had a heavy med ball uh, toss in there as well. Um, again, I, I can't credit anything here. This is um, um, uh, my great mentor, Chris McLeod's work, who's now at Bisham Abbey. Um, EIS Bisham Abbey, um, who's uh, head of S&C there. He, um, he had a high ball in there for sure. Um, he did a, um, a single leg uh, box jump. But when I say that, it was actually box sit to jump. And that was vest loaded um, based on a percentage of their body weight, I think. Um, I'm pretty sure he had a push press in there as well um, and a squat jump. Um, he might have actually had five there. So then a, a med ball chest pass as well. So I think he had a five-way sort of circuit on that. Um, yeah, again. And that was, the, that was the, running, the running clock? Is that what you said about the running clock? Yeah, okay. still on the running clock in that one as well, absolutely. And he, he measured um, uh, the 4 by 12 protocol that I originally started my master's with as a, um, and he measured a fatigue index and a percent decrement score off that one as their specific um, measure of repeat power ability. Um, and then obviously, like I said, they did their other tests, power and um, power strength and um, endurance tests as well. Um, yeah. What's interesting, it's probably a point that I need to point out is, um, I mean, Malad and I had a good laugh about this. He saw me doing some pilot stuff and, and he looked and he went, oh, CrossFit. <laughs> and, uh, and I said, uh, I said, look, I've got no bias. I'm still exploring. Yes, it seems like a lot of things are happening. A lot of interest, uh, interesting results are coming by. But I said, uh, one thing it definitely isn't is uh, is that sort of sort of a circuit based muscular endurance type circuit. Um, I don't know enough about CrossFit to comment, so I'll just, I'll just leave that for now. But um, it is about explosive power for every single rep. For as long as you can the loads aren't massive they're not maximal loads okay but they're decent especially when you get tired if you're on a 50 percent load it's very very heavy uh when you're doing those sort of reps i normally work off the 30 percent loadings and it's all about yeah producing as much power as you can for every single repetition so it's very different we're not just banging out reps for the sake of reps we're banging out reps as pure and as high as we can with the intent to reach maximal power and interesting, another point there too is probably whenever we do any of these assessments, 
we obviously have a max power marker first because um, we're clever. We're clever, repeat speed-wise and repeat power-wise. Our bodies naturally preserve themselves, and if we don't have a marker of max power or max speed, we will look to um, to conserve ourselves for the whole uh, the whole test. So always, I get my max power test first. That's historically collected anyway with my athletes or whoever I'm testing with this. And then when we go, we go. And if if the first three reps aren't are anywhere near that max power value, we pull the test. We're not we're not working power uh, repeat power ability anymore. So what we're percentage what percentage of that max value are you are you looking at before you cut it? Yeah, it's got to be with. Uh, so CVs are generally around the, well, what I'm getting with these. Are CVs are generally around that two percent range. So I I want it within two percent. Yeah. If it's outside of that, then uh, they're, they're trying to pull the wool over my eyes. <laughs> and that ain't happening. That isn't happening. It isn't happening. <laughs> cool. I mean, I know we mentioned it, and I'll just round up because there's some great information that I've written, tons of stuff down. Um, before we round up, there's the um, a couple of conferences. I know I mentioned it in part one, but I th- we'll, we'll plug it in part two and um, and keep ass kissing Aspire, which they love. Um the, the two uh, conferences that you've got going on, uh, one next month and one in February. Just want to tell us a little bit about them? Yeah, absolutely. We've got one uh, for the athletics-minded um, people um, with some great big hitters, uh, Lauren Seagrave and the like, and um, uh, Paul Bryce from a Biomechanics and Michael Johnson from a S&C perspective and many other guests coming and presenting on that. Athletics conferences um, from the 18th to the 20th of August, uh, sorry, of October, shall I say. Um, that'll be a fantastic event. It's an annual one we run with our, um, our athletics department. Um, and then uh, the big one for probably most of your listeners that'll be interested will be our monitoring athlete, athlete training loads. Um, it's called the Hows and Whys, and we've got some real big hitters coming from that as well, which I kind of rattled out and name-dropped uh, on the um, on part one of this um, podcast. But, yeah, absolutely, Darren Burgess, Stephen Celia, Dave Martin, Carl Foster, Tim Gabbard, the, the like, they're, they're going to be real good big hitters, speaking from – um, all sorts of perspectives uh, in terms of fatigue and load monitoring in, in high-performance sports. So I would highly recommend coming to that one um, if that's the only one you can come to. But we will keep running. We'll have lots of conferences. We'll pr- we try and get – I mean, that's just from my side of things. That's athletics and uh, sports science. Football department will run com- conferences. A lot of us, Aspatar runs conferences. We do lots of stuff out here. So please get out here and, and, and get amongst it and come introduce yourself and come meet up and talk uh, talk shop. And then, uh, and then conferences are horrendously expensive that you're running, yeah? Yeah, absolutely free. <laughs> uh, cool. Which is fantastic. So, yes, absolutely. no, we don't, we, don't, we don't sit here and make uh, want to make money. We're non-profit. We want to sit here and just provide information, uh, show what we've got, bring everyone else in to talk about stuff and, and to share. And, and ultimately, we want to um, provide the best information to our athletes here in, in Qatar and the growth of um, uh, sport performance in Qatar. But but ultimately to share with uh, share information with the world. Cool, sounds great. And I'll, like I said in part one, I'll put the uh, little links on part two as well, so people can get easy access to more information. Um, so yeah, that that's the conferences. But where can people um, keep in touch with what you've got going on? Yeah, best thing um, for me is my Twitter account. So uh, on Twitter, I'm Alex underscore Natera, spelled N-A-T-E-R-A. Um, and similar for my Hotmail account too, email-wise, is alex.natera at hotmail.com. And um, 
Oh, look, I, I love chatting. Uh, if you haven't noticed, probably chat too much, but um, love chatting, love sharing, love love getting challenged. It's the only way uh, we get better. So the challenging is great. The the feedback's great. Um, anyone interested in, in more stuff or getting involved somehow, please just just um, just drop us a line. Absolutely. Well, thanks a lot for your time again. So we've had. Uh what, an hour and a half over two episodes, which is absolutely class. So some great content there. Really appreciate it. Thanks very much. Mate, absolutely my pleasure, mate. Um, uh, and, uh, mate, I think you're doing a great job with, with getting out there and, and sharing all this information. It, it really is a great podcast. Um, I started listening to a few around there, mate, and, um, yeah, this is right up there, buddy. So well done. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. And I'm going to, uh, well, for this way, I was looking at flights to Qatar in, uh, last week in for, for the February one. So might meet in person in a couple of months, hopefully. That'd be nice. Wicked, mate. That'll be brilliant. Cool. Cool. All right, mate. Thanks for your time again. Cheers, Rob. Cheers, Thanks, Rob. Bye. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to episode 45 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. I hope you enjoyed part two with Alex and Tara. So if you haven't checked out part one, jump over to paceyperformance.co.uk forward slash 44 and you can catch up with with part one with Alex there if you don't mind leaving an honest rating and review on iTunes if you are an iTunes listener that would be really appreciated you can also keep up to date with everything that's going on the podcast if you follow me on Twitter at Pacey Perform got some great guests coming over the next couple of weeks and I will see you in episode 46